year. God has called us to be his dwelling. He is calling us into his dwelling, to make him our dwelling. We went to a, um, a worship conference um, out near Philadelphia um, yesterday, um, and you'll never guess what the whole message and topic and theme was about. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> just, <laughs> it is so encouraging when you see what the Spirit is doing outside of these four walls. He's, he's up to something good. Yeah, it was about dwelling, you know, it was the, the scripture, I think it was Psalm 27, um, where David cries out and he says, one thing I ask and I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to dwell um, and of course, you know, our scripture for this year, although you'll find this many different places from Psalm 91, one, he who dwells in the shelter of the most high will remain secure and will find rest in the shadow of the almighty whose power no enemy can withstand. And you don't realize how sweet, like in Kat's example is rest is until you don't get it and you can't get it. Man, you long for it, getting rest. The Lord's promised it. The three practical ways that we are going to make the Lord our dwelling this year um, was to live a consistent lifestyle where we pray continually. All kinds of prayers at all times, you know, in all circumstances we pray. And we praise because in all circumstances, no matter what is happening, God is good and worthy of our praise, right? We always got something to praise him for, even if it's just for who he is and what he has done. And then lastly, we're going to proclaim, proclaim his word. It's important to read it, to study it, to meditate on it. But there is something that happens, something that breaks when we open our mouths and we speak it out. In fact, we were, we were kind of talking a little bit on our trip about how funny it is. Sometimes you get yourself so caught up in fear and worry and anxiety about things in your mind and in your spirit in your soul but if you just stop and speak it out it sounds silly it's like are you serious what that's really gonna happen i don't think so like what are you so worked up about there is something that happens when we speak something breaks something releases and i believe that, that is one of the keys of breaking down these walls is declaring what God says about those circumstances and everything. That's where deliverance comes. So anyways, I could, I, I get, I could talk about all these a lot. So we're going to get to the topic of offense next week. We are not done with that subject yet because we've talked a lot about the person offended. We haven't talked about you all who are the offenders, which I'm one of them. We all have been at one time. What about the one who causes the offense? And we've all been there, so we're going to talk about that next week. Um, but this week, we're going to shift our focus onto that second aspect of making the Lord our dwelling, which is praise. Praise. Nothing, nothing puts our problems and trials of this world in perspective like praise. Exalting the Lord through worship, it invites his manifest presence into those circumstances, into our lives. It, it keeps our focus on him, and it exalts him. We even find throughout the scriptures where praise, and we read a few examples of this, um, you know, back in the day, where God's people chose to lift up praise, and the very moment that they began praising, God went ahead of them and fought their battles. It, it happened so many times throughout God's word. Now, um, you know, it's, it's so we see that praise can actually result in God solving our problems for us. Not just putting our problems in perspective, but where because we chose not to respond in fear and worry and anxiety and, you know, what am I going to do and how am I going to work this out and how am I going to fix this? When you just choose to respond, God, you're good. And this is yours. It ain't mine. You know, like Ray just said, God, <laughs> if you love me, just, just work these things out. And he did. He did. He's able to work all things together for good, even the things that break our hearts. Somehow he is able to bring goodness and beauty from it. He's just that good. So we know that worship, worship is bowing down our lives so that God can be exalted through them. It's not just a song, it's not just music. True, authentic worship is just bowing down our lives. Less of us, more of him. It's setting ourselves apart 
for God's plans and purposes. We call that holiness, when you set yourself apart. The only difference in the Old Testament between this spoon and that spoon is that, well, that spoon was set apart for God's uses. That's what holiness is, setting ourselves apart for God's plans and purposes, for his use. It's more than a song, it's a lifestyle. In fact, Romans 12.1, most of us are familiar with the scripture, declares exactly that. Paul is urging the, the church in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, and oh, his mercy is good, isn't it? Brand new this morning, mercy. In light, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Whew. If you're not familiar with the Old Testament um, you know, temple and, and what was happening there, uh, man, there's sacrifices and offerings being made all the time. Um, blood being poured out from animals to cover and make atonement for the sins of the people. Now in the new covenant, we are that sacrifice. Not just made once, but over and over again. We, we choose to offer ourselves up a living sacrifice to God. But whew, you, you know what happened to the sacrifices and the offerings in the Old Testament? You guys remember the, the showdown between the, the, the prophets of Baal, right? And I think it's Elijah, right? I get Elijah and Elijah mixed up a lot, but whew. When we offer up ourselves as a sacrifice, God's fire falls. Fresh fire. Woo. Oh, it's so awesome. I can't remember. I think it was Spurgeon. It was one of the, the great preachers of, of the day. You know, I think it was him. So don't quote me on it because I got to look it up. But, you know, they, they were, somebody was challenging him and asking him, you know, about his lifestyle. And he said something along the lines of, you know, I, I, God sets me on fire and I just burn. Like, you know. It's all you got to do. People see your lives, and you can shine the light of Christ through them. So, worship, whether it's by song or any of the other countless expressions of worship and praise, I encourage you to fill your soul with praise to God, exalting Him at all times, no matter what you're going through. Praise Him. This allows no room, no room for worry, doubt, anxiety, fear, all those things that the enemy tries to trip us up in. It leaves no room for it if we fill our lives with praise it burns those things up and and it's just it's like when you boil water it brings all those things to the surface and you, know, you can just wash them away you know you just shoo those clouds of darkness away gone um and what was i saying here so we know that this world it's not getting good and it's not going to get any better between now and the end times, right? It's just going to go from bad to worse. But we know that God is still good and that we have only tasted and seen a little bit of his plans and purposes, of his goodness. Our best days are still yet ahead of us. We're looking forward to an even greater manifestation of God's glory and of his goodness. And we're encouraged in Ephesians chapter 5. <coughs> To live with this in mind. We read, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. We, we've all acted the fool, right? And see what that leads to. Don't be foolish, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because these days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what God's will is. Don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to him for everything. Even the bad things that happen in life, that, that kind of messes with your head a little bit. This is not good. How can I give thanks to God for this? This isn't him. This isn't his plan. This isn't his purpose. Why should, how can you give thanks to God for that? Try it. Try it because his word tells you to do it, to give thanks to him for everything. Because he's not finished yet, is he? Always give thanks for everything, the good and the bad. Even when wrong and downright evil things are done to you, God is able to use it for good. We all know the account of Joseph, right? 
If you don't, you can read it. You can find it in you know, the middle of the book of Genesis, I think 30-something up to 50-something um, and beyond. He had a rough life. He was mistreated wrongly many times. He never defended himself. He just looked to God. And over and over and over again, things happened. And finally, the brothers who started it all, because they were jealous of him, and I'm not saying it was right in the way that he shared his dreams back in the beginning of the account, but all that aside, they put him through some pretty rough stuff. And in the end, Joseph was exalted second in command over all of Egypt. Could have had his brothers executed, right? Vengeance, it feels good, doesn't it? For a second. He could have taken offense, taken the bait. He could have, oh my goodness. But what did he say instead? He said, you intended to harm me, but God. God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. He realized that there was a bigger picture at stake, and it wasn't just about him. And so your life is not just about you. Your life affects so many around you. Don't downplay what God is doing in your life. Even when he allows bad things to happen, because believe me, if you're a child of God, he has to allow it. He has to allow it. He's allowing it to accomplish something good. So hang in there. Hang in there. Don't give up. Instead, what are we called to do? Be filled with the Spirit. Don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Not one time, you know, back in the day when you were baptized in the Holy Spirit, remain a new wineskin continually, fresh, filled to overflowing. Always be filled. It's an active state. It's an active condition to be filled with the Spirit. Always learning, always humble, always seeking. And of course, we're called to speak, to make music from your heart to the Lord. Let me challenge you, it doesn't matter if you can carry a tune or not. It doesn't matter if you've got any rhythm or if you're like the jerk, you know, if you've ever seen that movie. <laughs> it doesn't matter if you've got rhythm or can carry a tune. We're commanded to do it, so do it. Make music from the heart. Speak, sing, make music always. If for no other reason, just do it because God's word commands us to do it over and over and over again. Old and New Testament. No matter what our circumstances are, God has not changed. He is still worthy of all of our praise, right? He hasn't changed. He's still good. Because praise is actually that open invitation. Open invitation for the kingdom of God to enter and to transform your circumstances. Our praise builds a throne for Jesus. It creates a place for him to be enthroned, exalted, high, and lifted up in our lives. We give Jesus this exalted place. And you can't do that without also minimizing your problems and yourself. It's like a seesaw. You can't have one without the other. If you're exalting God, that means that you, you are minimizing the authority and the place in your life that everything else has, including your own self, bowing down your life to exalt him. <sighs> if you want things in your life to change, then get your praise on. If you want things to change in your life, start praising God for the good, for the bad, for the ugly. You know, you just praise him for it all. Lift up your eyes to him. That's where your help actually comes from, right? I mean, think about this account. There's no reason to praise in these circumstances. Acts chapter 16, verse 22 to 26, you know, that all the Paul and Silas were out doing was talking about how good God was. And this, you know, sharing the gospel that Jesus, whew, he was the Messiah. They're sharing this good news and this crowd rises up against them. It says that they joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrate, you know, the, the government authorities, they're always good, aren't they? They always do the right things, don't they? Sometimes they get it wrong, but it says that they ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods. It's so easy to read through these accounts and to miss the reality. Can you imagine? You're down there at DeMeo's, you know, and, you know, whatever. You're just telling people about Jesus, and 
group of people that are shopping there get a little offended by it, ticked off by it, and and they they have the cops come and take you off. You go before McCausland down here, and and what does he do? He he orders that you be stripped naked and beaten with rods. Says after they had been severely flogged, or thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. What did you do? That you're that dangerous of a person. The darker that these days get, the more dangerous the name of Jesus is. It's already outlawed and banned by punishment of death across the world. When he received these orders, the jailer put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in stocks. And about midnight, remember they're still naked, bloody, beaten, wrongfully. I mean, they don't deserve the punishment that they're receiving. It says they were pray, they were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. They were praying, and they were singing hymns to God. I don't know if that's what I'd be doing at midnight after being treated that way, you know. But, but if I stop being myself and I start being a little more Christ-like, right? And it says that the other prisoners were listening to them. I don't know if they were mocking or ridiculing them, but they were definitely listening. There was no, no, uh, you know, missing what was happening. And then verse 26, it says, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. This was no natural earthquake, right? Earthquakes don't just take open your chains and fling open all the doors at one time, right? I just picture this angelic host when they landed on earth to set these prisoners free. That's the cause of the earthquake, the shaking. But man, the power of praise. All that they did was pray and sing. And God responded. Not just to setting them free. He set all the captives free. Wow. Think about that. Don't minimize this account. These are just common, ordinary guys. All they did was pray to God and start giving him some praise, even though they were not in good circumstances. And God set them free and set everyone else free. In fact, that prisoner almost took his own life. He got saved. His whole household got saved. Because that's what our God wants to do. And he wants to use you and I to accomplish it. But the power of praise... Yes, worship is to happen in an orderly manner, right? When we come together to get our praise on, it's good for it to happen in an orderly manner so that everybody knows what's happening and can participate. However, it was never, never a private, quiet, solemn event. Never, never. We're going to read about it here. Never. But there is a right and a wrong way to worship God. A lot of you are familiar with this account. When handling the presence of God, and it was physically represented by the Ark of the Covenant, you know. There's a lot of Old Testament stuff I want to get into. Oh my goodness, I wanted, I wanted to go so many different directions, but I had to scale it back. Now, we, we, don't, we don't have, you know, six hours to sit and learn about all the representations, you know, that were there. But when handling the presence of God by the Ark of the Covenant, you guys are familiar with this account, at least you, you might be, um, Uzzah. Or Uzzah, or I don't know how to pronounce it properly, so please forgive me. I'll pretend that I do. And pretend you don't know that, Uzzah. He lost his life because he approached God incorrectly. And all he did was reach out and touch the ark when the oxen that was pulling the cart that was carrying it stumbled. You know, they had the Ark of the Covenant. They were, they were super excited. They had their praise on. They were bringing the presence of God back from their enemies, back where it belonged. And they decided to throw it on this brand new cart, and the oxen was carrying it, and it stumbled. And it was, it was just doing what he thought was right. You know, he reached out to grab it so that it wouldn't fall and hit the ground. And he died as a result. He died because they were carrying the presence of God in a way that God had said... It should not be done. I mean, yes, it, it seemed good. It was a brand new cart, the best of the best. There was music, there was shouting, there was dancing. However, God had already prescribed and said and commanded that the ark was to be carried only by the Levites and only by carrying it using the two gold-covered asatia pools. 
through the golden rings that were actually on the bottom of the ark. So this, this is not a very good representation. The, the golden rings were on the bottom of the ark, according to the Bible, but, you know, whatever. We, we'll, we'll, we'll take these artistic renditions for what they are. And it didn't matter that David's heart was in the right place. It didn't matter that David, he didn't mean any harm, and neither did, did Uzzah here. He was just trying to help and protect the ark the best way that he knew. He was actually trying to honor God in the way that he thought was best. Then he lost his life as a result. Because God said to do it in a very specific way. And they disregarded that. They did it in a way that seemed best to them. It seemed innocent. It seemed so harmless. It seemed like the right thing to do. But it was much more serious than that. How many times do we live our lives because we think it's the right thing to do? It seems right, and people agree with us, and they enter in with us. But they forgot to do something first. God, God, how do you want me to handle this situation? God, how do you want me to respond here and now? They forgot to seek their God first. They and it, Seriously, it doesn't sound like that serious of a thing <coughs> that they did, but if you really stop and think about it and analyze it, <laughs> they exalted themselves over God. God said to do it a certain way. They didn't even care to look it up. They just did it the way they figured it was best. They, they exalted themselves over God. In doing so, we choose, as Old and New Covenant say, we choose curses and death instead of life and blessing. And this choice remains, even for you and I today. It is still our choice, our choice. Oh, and listen to some of these scriptures, you know, going back through the Old Covenant that, that explain this. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13, David explained what happened. He said, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time, being the Ark of the Covenant, that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We didn't inquire of him about how to do it the prescribed way. So what is the prescribed way for us to praise God? How does he want to be worshipped? You know, you wouldn't appreciate it if you went and sat down in a restaurant and they gave you the food that they thought you wanted, right? That's not service, is it? Because they would say that this chubby man needs some salad, you know, and I don't like me salad. I just... I don't want to sit down and pay, you know, that for a meal. But think about that. It would be offensive to you, wouldn't it be? You would reject it. <laughs> like, why do you ask? Like, this isn't how this works. <laughs> you're paid to serve me, you know? You're, you're the servant. We are the servants of God. We're not to worship him the way that we want to. You know, but I really like doing that, and I really like that song, and I really, you know, I, 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 you got an eye problem. You're not seeing him for who he is. Instead, God, how do you want to be served today? What can I do for you today? How do you want to be praised and worshipped today? Because I'm your servant. I lay down my life for you. I mean, it makes sense in the natural. It should make sense in the spiritual too, Right? Wow, I'm going to get really, really, I'm going to really, 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 really oversimplify things and do a quick run through so we can get to the main point. We know that God created a covenant and he invites us to enter into it. We call them Old and New Testaments, Old and New Covenants. A covenant is a promise. This covenant, these covenants in particular were made by God. They are conditional only on our part. Because he is faithful and true. He will promise and fulfill. It's not like your, your Verizon or AT&T contract. A covenant. He can't break it. The conditional part is on ours. It is a covenant not to treat us as our sins deserve, but to forgive our sin and to bless us with eternal life and, and, and so much more. I mean, this covenant gives us access to more than we could ever think, ask, or imagine. Now, both the Old and New Covenants, they were entered into by our faith. It was always by faith. Always by the faith of the people. We express our faith through obedience to live by how he says to. It is a salvation based on faith alone, 
but it's revealed through our works. It is proven through our deeds. It's a life transformation from the inside out. And the progression took place throughout time. First, people sought God and worshipped him and presented him offerings at altars that they made. And it was literally like a, a big lump of dirt or, or uncut stones. They would build this altar. We, we, we've built this altar for this purpose. Just a place to meet with God. To offer yourself up. That's why the offering plates are up here. You know, It's the altar. It's just... There's nothing special about this, you know. Trust me, it's just wood and, um, you know, drywall and some power running behind it. But it's been purposed. It's been set apart. It is holy because we've dedicated it as a place to meet with God. A place to meet with God. And, and people would first worship him and do that um, by, by making dirt or uncut stone altars. Then God chose a man named Moses, right? He instructed him how to build a tabernacle, or basically a tent, that represented the temple in heaven. It was a copy. It was a shadow of the actual temple in heaven. And we see this in Hebrews 8, Colossians 2, Hebrews 10, and so many other places. It was a tabernacle because it needed to be mobile. <laughs> if you don't know the story, they just left Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land. You know, they needed the presence of God, but they needed it to be mobile because they were still following that pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. It was so that God's people could travel throughout their journey to the promised land. God chose this as a place for his presence to dwell. Now in reality, the entire universe can't contain his spirit. But there is something about a place that we purpose and we intentionally enter into his presence at. You may have a prayer closet at home. That's something that we read about in the New Testament. It doesn't matter what it is. What matters is that you have a place that is set apart for you to meet with God. And God chose this tabernacle to be that place. And it was a literal copy and shadow of what was in heaven. So cool to think about. The holy place. Now after they entered the promised land and they were living at peace with all the surrounding nations, Solomon built a permanent place. To essentially replace the tabernacle. That happened back in 957 BC. Within that temple, musicians were playing day and night. There was incense going off. There were altars, or um, the sacrifices and offerings being made. I mean, it was a place of worship. It was a busy place. It was a loud place. People were praying. And, and there was teaching that was happening from the word of God. It's awesome what was happening. That also was a copy or a shadow of the temple in heaven. That physical building remained until about 586 B.C. When God's people chose to, well, go their own way, do their own thing. And Nebuchadnezzar II destroyed it. At that time, the Ark of the Covenant was lost. That represented God's presence and it was gone. I'm a believer that when you're reading Revelation 11 that that, that, that Ark of the Covenant that, that John got a peek at, I think that was the Ark that God just took it back home. So sorry for all those that are like, you know, following like the treasure of Oak Island and, you know, they're still looking for the Ark of the Covenant. I think it's in heaven, so I don't think anyone's going to find it here on the earth, but just my opinion. Then in 515 BC, there was the rebuilding of the temple completed by Zerubbabel, right? And then of course we know that in 20 BC, King Herod was like, this place is awesome, but let's make it better. And he, and he expanded it and, and, and refurbished it. Um, and that would have been, it's kind of cool to think about, that would have been the condition of the temple where Jesus taught at, where he was dedicated as a, an eight-year-old, you know, boy to the Lord, uh, where the prophetic words were spoken over him. Um, that was also where Jesus taught and ministered. And of course, uh, lots of other things happened there. But... That temple was eventually destroyed by Rome. The Roman Empire came in, destroyed it in 70 AD. We know there's going to be a third temple in Jerusalem. It's coming during the end times. Um, we see that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 because at some point, you know, the man of lawlessness is going to rise up and set himself up as God in that temple. 
um, at some point during the tribulation period after the rapture. But right now, we are that temple. Long story short, right? We're that temple. That, that one over in Jerusalem has been destroyed. But God's word tells us that. 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? God's spirit dwells in your midst. He doesn't sit on the mercy seat above the Ark of the Covenant. He lives in you. You are the temple. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. However, back to the main point this morning. When rebuilding that first temple, and when it began, Ezra records this. Um, Ezra chapter 3, verse 10 to 13. When the builders laid the foundations of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets, which was actually the word shafar, which were these cool ram horns, which I know people have been waiting for me to grab a hold and blow, but I'm not going to do it until God tells me to do it. But <laughs> I love blowing the shafar. It's fun. The Levites were praising with symbols. They all took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, the king of Israel. With praise, with thanksgiving, they all sang to the Lord. He is God. His love endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. I can't imagine, you know. You, you got Marion Center comes in here and beep, beep, and dumps all this cement. And you got a foundation and you're like, yeah, praise God, praise the Lord. You know, I mean, it. It's not much of anything. It's just a slab. It's a foundation. But we know how incredibly important a foundation is. Not just to a physical house, but to a spiritual house. We have a foundation, a firm foundation to build on, right? None other than Christ Jesus himself. A rock. Whew. They were praising the rock, the foundation, on which everything else would be built. The people gave a great shout of praise. But it says here in verse 12, many of the older priests and Levites and families who had seen the former temple, they wept out loud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while all the others shouted for joy. And no one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made such a great noise. This sound was heard very far away. Woo! That, that's under the old covenant. I don't know if they were crying because they're like, oh, if you'd only seen the glory of the first temple. Or if they were crying because, praise God, it's being rebuilt. What, what the enemy destroyed, God is rebuilding, right? What the enemy has destroyed, God is rebuilding into an even greater glory, right? We're not rebuilding a temple that's going to be just a shadow of its former glory. We are allowing the Lord to rebuild something that's going to be even greater than what the enemy took away. Double, just like in Job's case. Double what the enemy took. God is going to restore. So I oh, just love it. And, and I wanted to take apart all the different elements that, that were a part of the tabernacle and the temple and what they represent in the New Testament. I, just, I get excited studying it, but I'm not going to share it. So what is the prescribed way to approach God? What is the right way to praise him? Of course, we know it's through Christ. Through Christ. Through Jesus. Through Jesus. It's the only way. He is the way. <laughs> He's the only way to enter into praise. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1 through 6 teaches us this. Now, the main point, what I'm saying, I'm not going to bore you with all the, because he went through a lot of this stuff too, the Old Testament tabernacle and temple. He said, now, the main point of all of this that we're trying to say is this. We have a great high priest. He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven. He serves in the sanctuary. He serves in the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a human being. Now every priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, so it was necessary for this one to have something to offer. If he were here on earth, he wouldn't be a priest, because there's already a priest who offers gifts in the prescribed way of the law. 
They serve at a sanctuary that's a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That's why when Moses was warned when he was, when he was about to build the tabernacle, see that you make everything according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry that Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he mediator is, is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant is established on better promises. Now the first covenant, it held regulations for worship in, in order to enter into an earthly sanctuary. A tabernacle was set up. Its first room was a lampstand and the table with the consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. And behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies in other translations, which had the golden altar of incense and the gold-covered ark of the covenant. This ark contained the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. And above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we can't discuss these things in detail now. No, I said, what is it expressed in detail? Anyways. When everything had been arranged like this, so bear with me, understand. God, he is a God of detail and planning and preparation. Let me tell you what. Whew. He had a purpose behind every single thing and the way it needed to be arranged and the way it needed to be constructed. And he says in verse 6, when everything had been arranged like this, then the priests entered, into, entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered into the inner room in the Holy of Holies, and that was only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins that the people had committed in ignorance. They didn't even know that they did anything wrong, and yet still atonement had to be made for their sin. The Holy Spirit was showing that by this, that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as that first tabernacle was still functioning. That's why the temple had to be destroyed. That's why the Roman Empire had to take it away. I mean, people are still wailing at the wailing wall, you know, and we see the enemy setting themselves up in that place. But anyways, the whole point of this is this, in verse 9, this was an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices that were being made, they weren't able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. They were only a matter of food and drink and ceremonial washings. They were all external regulations applying until the time of the new order. But then Christ came. Then Christ came. He came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here. He went through a greater, a more perfect tabernacle that wasn't made by human hands. That is to say that it was never a part of this creation. He didn't enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered into the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence, we have confidence and if you're lacking it and you think you're not worthy to enter into God's presence, if you think you just sin too much and you're not good enough and you screwed up, those lies of the enemy and tell yourself what God's word says. That's right. Woo, those walls are coming down. Walls are coming down. Those walls of lie. We don't have to be afraid to enter into his sanctuary. We have confidence to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way. A living way. The old covenant was covered by death. The new covenant, by life. Christ died, but yet now he is alive. Forever interceding for us. So we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. And with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. I feel like our people here this morning have been struggling with that for way too long. A guilty conscience. You just feel like you've done something wrong and you don't even know what it was. Anybody ever feel that way? I felt that way. Yeah. It's time to shake that thing off. Let the blood of Jesus sprinkle it. So it's gone. Breaking down those walls. Break down that wall of a guilty conscience having our bodies washed with pure water through the living water of the Holy Spirit, right? 
washes us new. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Is anybody here in the habit of not coming to church, not getting together? I just let the Holy Spirit deal with you on that one, you know. Anyways, you know, just, it's, you know don't, don't get in the habit of not meeting together, because it's so easy to get in that habit, isn't it? My bed felt awful good this morning. You can ask my wife. She's like, yeah, God, I get up. I'm like, oh. Mm. Encourage one another. Okay? Encourage one another. Don't beat each other up. Encourage one another. All the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of truth, then no sacrifice of sins is left. Only a fearful expectation of judgment and of the raging fire that will consume all the enemies of God. I had to invert I had to include those two verses. It's a warning. You, your sins have been covered by the blood of Jesus. So stop doing it. Okay, if the fireman rushed into your burning home and pulled you out, you wouldn't run back into it. Stop doing it. Stop running back into that raging fire that's going to consume the enemies of God. Stop sinning. Just don't do it. God's faithful. He'll never let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, and he will always make a way out. So I just had to include that little bit. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is an all-consuming fire. He is an all-consuming fire. So how do we praise? What is the prescribed way? I mean, through Jesus, he's everything. He's made a way. You enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God by the blood of Jesus through our faith. You know, it, don't put your faith in anything that you are or anything you've done. Just everything that Jesus is, everything that he has done. And then you just enter in with thanksgiving, with worship. That's acceptable. With reverence and awe. God wants to fill his people again with awe, with the awe of God. We enter in through faith, through faith. He sits on the heavenly mercy seat, interceding for us day and night. He is not your enemy, he is for you. He is not against you, he has laid down his life to be for you. As a result, we can boldly and confidently enter with praise with praise that's how we enter in enter his gates with thanksgiving enter his courts with praise praise his name right how do we praise how do we praise how do we praise our response to god's goodness i don't know if you hmm. how do you respond when something good happens i hear there's there's a foosball game on tonight has anybody heard the news it's a super bowl game on tonight right I know none of your teams are in it, not even Daryl, I, I, you know, Cowboys, they, we don't want to talk about that, you know. But how do you respond when something good happens? When your kid's over there on the court and they, they score the winning point, nobody has to instruct you on how to do it, do they? You go to a football game, you will see banners, we call it the terrible towel, right? Banners will be waving. Now, I, I don't know if I've ever seen too many guys run over here, grab a banner, and wave it around for Jesus. I don't know why. They think it's a feminine thing to do. You should have seen the nation of Israel when they ran into battle with their banners. That was not a girly thing to do. I mean, has anybody ever watched the movie, uh, what, what's his name, the, uh, the, the Scottish guy that went in? and Braveheart, yeah. Man, that was not a girly thing to be waving that flag, was it? Why is it a girly thing in church? When has church become so feminine? I think men need to... Sorry, ladies, but I think men need to rise up and start just be the men of God. Express praise. It's not a girly thing to do anyways. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But you, you don't have to be taught how to do it. You're going to shout. You're going to clap. You're going to stand. You might even do a little dance. No one has to tell you how to express praise when you're excited about sports. Well, those natural expressions... God gave them to us. 
to give to him. And it's the same way that we praise him. Anyways, there's countless ways to express what we call praise, to give God honor and glory. Countless ways. He is a creative God, and there, I, I couldn't possibly cover them this morning. You enter in through Jesus, and then at that point, you praise him however you are led. There's very, I mean, there are some prescribed ways, but we're not even limited to those. I mean, you'll, you'll see these things happening. Here's some that we find throughout Scripture. Singing. And that is not an exhaustive list, by the way. Those are the scriptures. And listen, I filtered these scriptures out. This took me forever. These are scriptures that command you to, pray, to sing, to praise the Lord through singing. Not times when people were singing or, you know, or, or singing to some, you know, singing for some other purpose. These are only the scriptures that tell us to praise the Lord through song, okay? So do you see why song valued and we make sure it happens here at new hope we're just giving you an opportunity to do what god's calling you to do that's all that we can do can't force you to sing can't force you to open your mouth but um if you want to express your obedience to god through faith i mean singing's a good place to start isn't it look at all those scriptures you're fulfilling by doing it how cool is that you done checked off quite a list if you just sing this morning quite a list Giving offerings, not just financially, but I'm telling you, where your money is, there your heart is also. If you want to check and see where your heart is, check your bank account, you know, it'll tell you what you're prioritizing and valuing, you know, are you spending more on Netflix and your, you know, streaming services than, than you are to the kingdom of God? Well, I'll let the spirit deal with you on that one, but we give offerings in so many other ways. I mean, this is just the beginning, tithes. I'm not even talking about tithes. They are required. Offerings is above and beyond. What you give out of a grateful heart. Giving of yourself. Um, anyways, just if you offer yourself up, look at all the scriptures you are fulfilling. Just amazing. Just amazing. Shouting! You'll notice in this list, I couldn't find anywhere in the scripture where it says, Sit your butt down and keep your mouth shut. And that's giving praise to God. I can't find it. Show it to me. It may be there. I mean, I know there are a few scriptures where it's like, you know, when you come before the Lord, the Lord let your words be few. There, that scripture's in there, but we, we don't see that very often. In fact, there's, did you know there's only one time where it's quiet in heaven? Only one time. You, you can tell me about it later when you dig that up. But yeah, shout, giving a shout of praise. Playing instruments, again, that's why, trust me, we are all beginners up here. I done taught myself how to play and it doesn't sound very good. I know the mistakes I'm making and not doing it very good, but it's like, you know what, we're, we're just going to give God what we got, you know, we're going to, he says to praise him by playing instruments and that's why we do it. That's why we value live worship, we call it, over canned video worship because he's calling us to do it so Let's get our instruments on and praise him. If you do that, here you go. You're fulfilling a lot of scriptures. Bowing down in war. And it's an expression of praise. That's why our altars are built this way. They're, it's actually a matter of convenience. I can bow down pretty, pretty easily here. And I got a comfy spot, you know. It's, it, it makes it convenient. But you can bow down anywhere that you want to be. If you just want to turn around in your seat, there's another very comfy spot to bow down as long as the... I don't want to talk about that, but... I bowed down in a couple of seats. I'm like, whoo, this thing needs cleaned, and I'm going to be praying for that person. I, I don't know what kind of beans they ate that, that morning, but. <laughs> you can praise God through laughter. It's a good medicine, isn't it? Bowing down before the Lord. In fact, laying face down, prostrate. If you do this in some churches, they will look at you weird. You know? Why? We're told to do it. We're told to express our praise. We're commanded to do it. To bow down and to lay prostrate, face down before the Lord. These should be common expressions of praise that you find in his kingdom, in his body, in his church. Um, standing up. There's a reason we say to stand to praise. I mean, you know, if you're physically able to, you do it. If you can't do it, whew. how many times in the scripture did we find a miracle happening 
And all that they were told to do is to get up, stand up. <laughs> Whew. Do it by faith and see what happens. Woo! Healings can happen when you lay down yourself and just stand up. Proclaiming, of course, that's one that we love here. And, and that's not even including declaring. There's a lot more scriptures to this one. I just didn't have the time to find them. But yeah, declaring, proclaiming, speaking it out. Whew, it's there. Crying. Crying is an expression of worship. In fact, we just read about that in Ezra. People were crying and shouting and there was so much noise, nobody could tell the difference between the joy and the crying and the, whoo, yeah. Dancing. Dancing is an expression of worship. Some of us naturally kind of dance. I know I, I kind of move side to side a little bit when I'm worshiping. I don't think about it and do it. It just happens, you know. Some, some people are very graceful and exquisite dancers. You know, I've got some, um, Lydia, she's getting trained in dancing, right? You know, I mean, it's, it's a way to express praise to God. You can dance. Raising your hands, right? Something you'll see here at church every now and then. And you can start little. You can start little and, you know, work your way up. But raising your hands. And, of course, banners. Using banners. That's why we got banners over here. Grab it and wave the thing around, you know. Just try not to smack your neighbor or poke an eye out. That's all that we ask. <laughs> and, of course, kneeling. Kneeling in worship and whatever. And th that's just a, a, a simple beginner's list of ways to praise so we talked about it enough who's ready to praise who's ready yeah. Woo! who's ready to break down some walls yeah. if you're uncomfortable doing any of these things do them anyways uncomfortable with any of these i've never seen seth dance i'm gonna call you out i don't think i've ever seen you dance i don't know if the dude's got any moves or not Go lock yourself in the bathroom if you need to and get your praise on, okay? But what did David say? What, once, he, once he found the prescribed way to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, yeah, what did he say when his wife Michael was like, oh, what are you doing? What are you thinking in front of all those ladies? You're out there in your undies dancing around. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this lady, right? Embarrass yourself. Embarrass yourself giving praise and glory to God. Trust me, nobody here is going to care. You may actually break down their wall and be like, if they're going to get up and look like that, whatever, I can do it too. You may break down their wall. We're going to put God's word into practice. So, sing, shout, give offerings, play instruments, bow down, lay face down, stand, proclaim, cry, dance, raise your hand, banners, kneeling, whatever it is, give him some praise. That's what this was created for. Oh, that's what you were created for. This body was not created as an instrument of sin, right? You were bought at a high price. Therefore, what are we supposed to do with our bodies? Honor God with them. God, you said to do these things. I don't feel like doing them. feel stupid and silly doing them. You said to do it. I'm going to do it. All right? So try something that you've never done before. Try something you've never done before. This is a safe place. And if you're too embarrassed to do it, there's, you can go lock yourself in a room and do it all by yourself where no one can see you. But do it anyways. Do it anyways. And when we praise God, just like Paul and Silas, watch those walls crumble. See what God will do as he goes ahead of you and fights your battles. Amen? All right, let's do it.